And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Pursuing Purpose, the podcast. Hey everyone, it's Monique C. Baston, and I am coming to you once again for another episode of Pursuing Purpose, the podcast. So I am very excited to get into this episode, but before I do, I just want to give a huge shout out to Team Jesus Magazine. Team Jesus Magazine hosts this podcast on their website, and so I want to encourage all of my listeners to go check them out. They are the digital Christian playbook for Christians. They provide faith-based, inspirational, and Christian articles, resources, and so much more. So check them out on their website, www.teamjesusmag.com. And while you're there, also check out their recently launched shopping mall. Yes, that's right. They have a shopping mall, an online shopping mall, the Team Jesus Mall. And you can go to that mall and do some shopping for yourself or family members or friends for Christian t-shirts, apparel, and all sorts of goodies. And that website is www dot team jesus mall dot com now if you're a single christian while you're at the team jesus mall i want to invite you to pick up my book single and set apart for a season a book of prayers declarations and scriptural inspiration for single christians now i wrote this book last year and i self-published it and this book is for my fellow single christians regardless of where you are in your single season whether you're single and dating single and waiting or single and not interested this book has something for everyone so i want to encourage you to pick it up and thank you in advance for your support And now let's get into episode four of Pursuing Purpose, the podcast. So in this episode, I interviewed a friend of mine, Cynthia Daniels. Now, Cynthia and I go way back. We go back to high school, Benjamin Elijah Mays High School, as a matter of fact. That is where we both graduated from here in Atlanta, Georgia. But now Cynthia is living in Memphis, Tennessee, and she's been living there for about nine years now. And in this episode, we delve into her journey to purpose and we talk about how being laid off from her job led her to taking a leap of faith and relocating to Memphis. And that later led her to founding the Memphis Black Restaurant Week, as well as her own event planning company, Cynthia Daniels & Co., where she is the chief events strategist. So let's get into Cynthia's journey to purpose now. Cynthia, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this interview with me today. We're going to start out with a few easy questions. And so my first question for you is this, where are you originally from and what did you want to be when you were growing up? So I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up in the heart of Southwest Atlanta. Gosh, when I was growing up, I really thought I wanted to be a doctor. I think uh, that's what I always just saw on TV. I wanted to always help people. Um, and I love kids, so I thought at one point I was supposed to be a pediatrician, uh, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's switch gears for a quick second. We're going to get back to your career. Um, okay. When did your introduction to the Christian faith begin? Who was the first person to introduce you to God, and what was mm-hmm. your Christian upbringing like in terms of, like, church attendance, involvement, that sort of thing? 
Sure. Um, so honestly, at a very early age, I remember always being in church. Uh, you know, both of my parents were really uh, advocates on making sure we're getting to church on Sunday, making sure we in the fellowship hall, kind of meeting with our church members and, and kind of fellowshipping in that sense. Um, and I just remember reading a lot of books that talked about Jesus and, you know, Noah's Ark, kind of the kid versions and going to vacation Bible school uh, when school was out. So I think at a very early age, I just have those type of memories. Um, and I grew up Methodist um, in, in in my parents' home, but then I, I kind of geared towards Baptist when I went to college. I think um, we just kind of figure out our faith as we get older and kind of what we need and the kind of relationship we have with God. So that Baptist feel really allowed me to get a closer connection. Speaking about your educational background, tell us about your educational background. Where did you go to college? Where did you study that sort of thing? Yeah, okay. So, again, here I am thinking I'm supposed to be this doctor, this pediatrician. I went to Alabama A&M University in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. My first year, I was a pre-med biology major. What I found out that first year is that when you go to medical school, you have to operate on cadavers. Don't ask me <laughs> why I didn't do any research. You know, as a kid, as a, as a teenager, you just have these ideas in your mind. This is what I'm going to be. This is how much money I make. This is how long I have to be in school. I didn't look up anything. So not only did I have to operate on cadavers in medical school, I found out that Interning at a doctor's office, I think I did it for about uh, a week, I learned I did not like germs. I didn't like people <laughs> on me. I didn't like drawing blood for people. So there were so many red flags. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that happened during my freshman year. Um, so obviously the second year comes. I know I wanted to change my major, but I did not want to lose an, an entire year of, of coursework. So I switched my um, degree over to behavioral science. So behavioral science, obviously, you're dealing more so um, with people, and you're, you're, you're helping them in, in a different sense. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with that degree at the time, but I, it definitely has helped me in my career. Um, ended up finding a, a job in HR after graduation. Mm. So again, it all kind of worked out, right? It was part of God's plan. Like, no, I don't want you working on people physically, but having to deal with problems, making sure relationships work out with bosses and their employees, having to diffuse situations, my degree was very helpful in that sense. Wow. Wow. That is that is so interesting. So you <laughs> mentioned that after college you got mm-hmm. into HR. And yeah. so I, I want to tap into that because I know your testimony about how you yeah. moved to Memphis for the HR job. So I want yeah. you to share your testimony with my listeners about, mm-hmm. you know, what happened after college, your move yeah. to Memphis, and then yeah. how that all ties into you discovering your God-given purpose in life. Wow. Look, how much time do I have, girl? You, you got, got time, about girl. Testimony. <laughs> about five hours. We have a revival and everything on this phone call. Oh, my gosh. But honestly, uh, for me, me, when you graduate from college, I, I did undergrad and grad school at Alabama and the University. You know, the, the American dream is to go to college, get your degree, get this great job. And living in my parents' footsteps, you're supposed to get this perfect job, you know, and work for a company for the next 30 years. I thought that's what it would be like. But um, 
gosh, I, I finished grad school in 2006, so that led kind of right into the economic downfall in 2008, and it affected me. So my first job in Atlanta, I was working with a nonprofit. I was working as a recruiter, so a different side of HR, um, but still getting my feet wet, really learning how to connect with the right people. I was um, working in a nonprofit that dealt with at-risk youth, so we were matching uh, mentors with mentees. So I, I, I failed at that, got a great promotion within the first year of the company. I never forget uh, getting called to the office after in year two, and I'm thinking, okay, wow, I'm about to get another promotion. Things are going so great. All is right in the world. And I find out that I'm getting laid off, uh, that actually – Donations weren't coming in. Funding wasn't what it was supposed to be, so they had to lay out some of the, the most recently hired people. Um, so at the time, I thought, you know what, <laughs> no problem. I have two degrees. I can find something Monday, no big deal. Um, but again, not understanding what was happening in the country at that time. So not only was I getting laid off, but you have more seasoned professionals that are getting laid off. And I'm having to now compete with them on interviews, and obviously they're getting the jobs before me. Um, during this time, I'm living on my own, you know, because that's the thing you're supposed to do. With my mother, who was a praying mother, she just would always check in and say, Cynthia, if you ever need to move back home, you know, you're always more than welcome. But my pride at the time would not allow me to do it. I just would say, no, I can handle this. I've got it. Um, and so... One month of not finding employment turned into three months, turned into six months. At six months, mm. I said, okay, you know what? I do need to move home. I need to swallow that pride. I need to be thankful to God for this opportunity. Um, so I was able to move back home. Now, again, my mother, who, gosh, uh, grew up in the 60s, right? So when she got her career, that's back when you had briefcases and you walk around and you meet people and you go to people, you open doors and you walk in and, and you ask to talk to people. She didn't understand it with my generation that we're uploading resumes on a computer. So right. for her, she didn't feel like I was really putting in effort. But, again, I'm I'm uploading my resume on these websites. I mean, I know at least 40 a day minimum at that time and just not getting the response and traction that I needed. So, honestly, Monique, um, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason, and during this time, I'm I'm becoming depressed. I didn't know it at the time, but I really kind of shut out my family. I shut out my friends because now I'm embarrassed because I'm not working, and I don't feel like I am um, worthy of being around people, and I just kind of shut myself out. And so right around the year mark, my mother confronts me about this, right, um, I ended up going out late. I, I don't know, again, what happened at the time, but something just caused me to be out late, maybe visiting a family member or some cousins I was really close with that really helped me kind of through that time. But I get home, and my mother is waiting for me at this kitchen table with her arms folded. We know what that means when the arms right. folded. Right, right. This is serious. This is serious. <laughs> So I'm getting myself mentally prepared, like, oh, my goodness, what is, what is this? I sit down at the table, and my mother just laid such a heavy lesson on me to, you know, tell me that you're not the daughter I raised. You're not even trying with your life. I don't understand what you're doing, but you need to do something now. Like, you're not even trying. And I felt like the victim at that moment, but I didn't know that there was something bigger in store for me. Sometimes God has to take you to your lowest point before he can build you back up. And so Absolutely. I was 
Yes. Yeah. So I remember going to my room. Again, this is the room I grew up in, right? Um, mm-hmm. That also mentally does something to me that this is my childhood room. Uh, here I am, this adult with two degrees, but I'm back where I started, right? And I remember crying and praying and just saying, what did I do wrong, God? I thought I was following your steps and doing everything right, and I just don't know how I got to this place. And I heard clear as day from God that you need to move. Mm. Okay, God, <laughs> how do you move with no money? How do you right. Move? You know, I'm like, I hear you, but let's, let's work this out. But right. um, <laughs> I ended up going to sleep, I, you know, crying and praying and, and just, you know, to the point where you just go to sleep and I wake up. And I think, okay, it would make sense to move in with someone that I already have a relationship with. So I thought about all of my friends in Huntsville, Alabama, where I went to college. But it's more of an engineering town, and I just, you know, I didn't really want to go back to that place. It was where I went for college, but it wasn't a place I really felt that I would grow um, as an adult, where it be spiritually and, and, and socially. It just, it was a college-type town. And mm. then I had a friend I worked with in college. I worked in Best Buy, and just called her up. She was from Memphis, Tennessee. And I told her what was going on, and I'm crying, and I'm just, you know, really laying it on and telling her, you know, how I'm at my lowest point in life. And she just immediately said, Cynthia, I have a room for you. I I just moved into uh, my parents' home. Come on. It was those simple words that just reassured me that it was going to be okay. And sight unseen, I packed up my car and moved to Memphis. Um, now, I did do a little bit of research, you know, before I said I did research being a doctor, but I did in that moment say, okay, well, let me see what kind of companies Memphis has. Memphis has uh, FedEx headquarters, International Paper, AutoZone, just to name a few. So I felt that at some point I could find something HR-related, whether it be recruiting, whether it be a generalist, just something in that field. And, Monique, I moved here and found something in two weeks. And so I wow. Memphis was the right city for me, for sure. So I ended up getting a job in two weeks. I was working in a distribution center. So okay. that's one thing I really didn't understand about the Memphis culture versus Atlanta, uh, because they, I think that the largest distribution hub in the South, again, when you, especially when you've got FedEx, so there are a lot of warehouse conditions here. And so I was working in HR, and the best way I can put it, I was dealing with issues I just had never seen before. Um, when you're dealing okay. with a particular type of um, job, we're talking about package handlers, warehouse workers, general labor, it was just a different environment. I'm going to stick with, with that phrase. Again, I have this HR background, right? So I'm trying mm-hmm. to give you a visual. But I'm working second and third shift, so that means I'm going in 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, getting off maybe at midnight, sometimes 2, 3 in the morning. But I was dealing with some of the most unique Situations I've ever been been in as an adult. So fighting, um, oh, in the middle of okay. the night, uh, box cutters, some violent type things. People talking about each other, just having to call the police. You know, it was not. Look, I'm grateful to God for this opportunity, but it was like, whoa, I'm I'm almost I'm I'm in this environment that I just don't feel the most comfortable in. And oh, so, okay. Yeah, so that that's kind of what I wasn't laid off from that, but I knew I I needed to get out of it very quickly. Okay, yeah, no, that that totally makes so so you decided to leave that position. So 
How long it. after you left that position did you mm-hmm. start the Memphis Black Restaurant Week? And just, sure. like, how did how you did that? get that idea, sure. the concept sure. and all that stuff? Gotcha. Okay, so, yeah. So, one thing about working in that particular environment, I needed an outlet. I needed to give back. I needed to connect with like-minded people. I just felt that, okay, God didn't bring me to Memphis just to be in this position and be unhappy. So, I just started looking up nonprofits and I just started volunteering like crazy. So you would see me at the food bank one weekend, I'd be at a shelter, I'd be at the United Way events, just really networking around the city, meeting all of these philanthropists, meeting CEOs, meeting people with a kind heart that wanted to give back. During that time, I said, okay, this is great. I get to meet all these amazing people at Memphis, but I'm also looking for people that look like me. Right, because sometimes mm. when we work all week long, we just want to relax on the weekend. The next, we not think about getting up on a Saturday morning, and getting back. So I just started researching uh, young professional groups to figure out how could I get involved in, with with other individuals, and so um, started volunteering and working within those groups. And one in particular was Memphis uh, Urban League Young Professionals. And it is an organization for African Americans where uh, we're ages 21 to 40, and we're talking about um, creating events around social events, civic engagement, community service. I mean, it was almost like that one-stop shop in that place where I knew I felt like I belonged. These are my people. Um, and in that place, it was very important to support black businesses, and I was able to meet a lot of great individuals during that time, um, and obviously Memphis uh, is a place where food is really part of the culture. Barbecue, it's a culture here, and when I say barbecue, it is a year-round thing. I'm from Atlanta. In Atlanta, we bring the grill out Memorial Day weekend. We put it up Labor Day weekend. People barbecue in Memphis all year round, so that was a, a huge shift for me. So I made it my business to make sure I went to these mom and pop restaurants, I would make sure that I really got out and supported. And so during this time, um, I befriended a young lady uh, named Fran Mosley, who was opening up her first restaurant. Um, she would just come to Urban League events. Sometimes we would meet up and go out for lunch, go out for dinner. And in one of those conversations, she shared with me that she wanted to open up her own restaurant. I said, great. How can I support? She said, well, we would, I would love to hire you as my social media manager. And I said, okay, I can, I can definitely take pictures of food. I've been, you know, by the time Instagram was a thing, so I was snapping pictures of my food anyway. I'm snapping pictures at events, so I felt very capable to just help her friend to friend in that space. Well, it gave me insight into what it looks like to be in a black restaurant on the business side. So that first week she opened up. And people were just wall to wall. She was running out of food. People were stopping by just sowing seeds, saying, I wanted to put this in your hand just to say, have a blessed business. I want to support you. And it was beautiful. That first week, this was November 2015, just we couldn't keep enough food. And then week two came, Monique, and it was crooked. I said, okay, where, where are the people? And... At that point, I said, okay, well, Fran, let's, let's get some money. Let's get to the radio stations. Let's get into these magazines, these newspapers. You know, let's spend some money so we can get you some business. And I'll never forget in that moment, she said, Cynthia, I just spent my life savings to open my restaurant. 
I, I don't have anything left. This is it. It has to work. And so that was jarring for me to hear, like, wow, mm-hmm. you don't have that next step. It was this has to be enough where word of mouth generates business for me. And it was just this vision from God immediately that made me think about all of the other hidden jewels. I, I always say hidden jewels. Well, they're hidden because people don't have the resources to market themselves. It's right. This is this is good food. You got to go down this block around this corner, and you're going to have the best fried chicken ever. It, that's what they rely on. So when I looked at the landscape of Netflix, we have a Jewish festival. We have an Italian festival. We've got a Greek festival. I'm the Indian festival. We celebrate everyone's culture. We celebrate their food. There was nothing that really celebrated the black restaurants in Memphis. And so that's where the idea came from, Memphis Black Restaurant Week. So um, when I get this vision from God, I move very quickly. That's I've been good. doing events within the Urban League and Professionals, so I pretty much had the logistics down. And I thought, okay, use social media. I'll get on Facebook. I will promote this particular week. I talked to seven other restaurant owners along with Chef Fran. Eight people were going to be part of this week. I thought, okay, let's push this out in March of next year because March is nice weather in Memphis. It gets really cold, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't want any obstacles when I launched this week. I wanted to be seven days of supporting these black businesses, get promotional items on the menu. So a lunch was two items for $15, dinner was three items for 25 I figured if I'm on social media promoting this, the restaurant owners are on social media promoting this, we can at least get 100 people minimum. You know, that that was my goal. If a 100 people came out and supported eight black restaurants, I felt good about it, right? That was my contribution to giving back to that community. And those 100 people would tell the next 100 and so on and so on. Well, again, God, God wants so much bigger for us. And we sometimes don't think about the full potential of, of the visions he gives us. We just think, okay, God, I see the vision. I'm going to do this a little bit over here. God right. blew my mind. Monique, we had over 3,000 people participate. Wow. That week. They spent $85,000 in one week. Every participating restaurant quadrupled their business. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's amazing. <laughs> and even as I tell this story, it blows my mind to see the type of support that Memphis gave me, to see what really happens when you're faithful to God's plan and do his work because it was in that moment that I realized, oh, maybe I should be doing this full time. Maybe my mission Mm. and business is to support black events, to create awareness around um, this community. And this is because Memphis is 65% African-American, but I don't see the same awareness, the same camaraderie that I see in my hometown of Atlanta. So it was right. at that moment I said, okay, God, I hear you. I'm supposed to be doing this full time. And, again, Monique, that was just the tip of the iceberg. So year two, uh, we did uh, $175,000 in one week. Year three, $315,000 in one week. So we have now done – half a million dollars in three years and pouring back into the black community. That is incredible. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm over here speechless. I'm, I'm listening to you, Cynthia, and I'm just, 
speechless, but it reminds yeah. me of one, like not too many years ago, I heard a pastor say that sometimes our purpose is tied to a place. And when yeah, you talk yeah, about yeah. your story, Cynthia, yeah. like literally, that just came to me. Your wow. purpose was tied to Memphis, is tied yeah. to Memphis, because I know that from that, now mm-hmm. you have launched Cynthia Daniels and Company. And how many, uh, look, I, I know it's just so much going on, but how many yeah. events now are you doing per week, per month, per year? So, <laughs> look, look, what, what, what you doing, girl? I'm <laughs> look, telling you. I can't keep up. <laughs> I, mean, I can't either. And I, I tell God, God, you have got to stop with these visions. Like, I actually, <laughs> not this much increase. It is, It blows my mind. So, I literally now have nine signature events as chief event strategist for Cynthia Danes and Company. And so when I started this company, I thought, okay, I would do Memphis Black Restaurant Week, and I also created uh, an event called 40 Under 40 Urban Elite Professionals. It's, it's okay. like my gala. I said, you know what? They both bring enough revenue where I feel like I can, can, can sustain myself. I can make sure the businesses happen. And God keeps giving me these visions. And, you know, people always come to me, oh, you should do this type of event, do this type of event. But I do events with purpose behind them. And I know that is why they are so successful and thrive because God gives me the vision and I'm doing it because it needs to happen, not because, oh, this is going to make me this amount of money. You know, I definitely feel like my heart is in the right place with everything that I create. Uh, But to your point, what is so amazing, and I hope this inspires someone that's listening, God gave me these visions to create. I didn't realize that people in high positions were watching me do these events. So mm. when I officially said I'm walking away from um, my full-time job, so I was doing events, Monique, I would say roughly about three years, just as a, as a, as a part-time hustle. But okay. when I said... This is Cynthia Davis and Company. I'm doing this full time. I had the city of Memphis reaching out, saying we're interested in meeting with you to do some events to help minority businesses. Um, I've had the National Civil Rights Museum reach out. Um, just these national companies that have reached out that I've had now the opportunity to work with. Um, because everybody's looking for that next thing for their company. Everybody's looking to attract um, millennials. And so because I come with this resume of things that I did, it wasn't about me waiting on an opportunity. I was able to create it. It opened the door for me. So with the National Civil Rights Museum, I was able to sit down with the president to say, I've done X, Y, and Z events. I think this would be a great event to do um, with your organization. And so we created MLK Soul together, which was an outdoor conference series that brought the community together, uh, working with Northwestern Mutual that really wanted to cater to minority uh, millennials. We created this um, brunch to talk about black wealth and what it looks mm. like to invest. So outside of my own signature events, I've been able to sit down with companies to figure out um, what's the best thing to create. And again, back with the city of Memphis, the city of Memphis, again, if, if I can, if I can make a, a commercial now, it is, it is incredible to start a business here in Memphis as a black business owner. It's actually on uh, one of the lists that came out not too long ago because Memphis is a place full of opportunity. We, we don't have 
um, the same amount of, what am I trying to say here? We're not as competitive with the Atlanta market and the D.C. market when it comes to retaining okay. uh, African-American talent. So if you're able to create a, a place of business, a brick and mortar to um, revitalize a certain community right now, um, in the medical district, we've got this spin cycle bar that opened up. We've got T-shirt companies. We've got restaurants. So there are resources available to attract black businesses to open up in certain parts of the community. And for me, when I think about what a black business owner can do here versus other markets that are oversaturated, it is just the, the, it's, it's plentiful. Um, so mm. I'm just saying all that to say that because I started my company, before I started my company, it was God's vision to say, do this and this and this as a part-time opportunity. Once I did it full-time, people just began to hire me. And so hopefully that inspired someone to not say, okay, well, I have to wait until this perfect moment when I have this amount of money in my bank account. I have to have this many investors. When you get the vision from God, he's already figured it out for you. It's just absolutely that faith of a mustard seed and moving forward to do it. So that is my my testimony that I can't even keep up with the events that I have. I, I have a team of five people now. That was that was like five years from now that I was supposed to hire people. But I have a full fledged company. I'm saying this to you and I still don't believe <laughs> I, I I don't. But Memphis has been amazing to me and my business. I've been here nine years, Monique. I was only supposed to be here, too. I told God, okay, God, I got this <laughs> job. I'm going to be here two years, and I'm going back to Atlanta, and here it is nine years later. I'm still here. Wow. Cynthia, I'm just, you know, <laughs> it, it's so much in there that I want to mm-hmm. just kind of unpack and pull okay. out, but I like what you said about how you had your full-time job and you were still working part-time on events because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people want to tell entrepreneurs, you know, just jump, just leap, and, you know, want to tell people to leave their jobs and, you know, stop working that nine to five. But, you know, you still did both until God gave you permission to jump out and make that step. So I think that is so important. You know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I totally agree, and I'll tell people for at least, three of those years when I did it part-time, I just didn't sleep. Now, on the mm. weekends, I would sleep. But I I treated my business like it was a full-time job. So I, I'll give you my schedule. So 4 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock in the morning, every Monday through Friday, I would work on my company goals. From 8 to 5, I would work my full-time job, take about an hour break, and so maybe, what, 6 to about 10, I work on my company goals. That means I have eight hours I've given to my full-time job, eight hours to my actual job that pays me on a regular basis. So, and then on the weekends, if I need to rest, rest. Because there's this thing now with, you know, team no sleep. No, you need some sleep. But you also have to be serious about the goals you have in front of you. God will give you the vision, but you do have to meet him halfway. So I want people to know I was able to jump into it full time because I had done so much work leading up to that moment. It wasn't just, okay, day one, I'm quitting. Okay, now I'm going to start my event planning company, and I've never planned an event ever for the city. Right, exactly. (laughs) And then also, Cynthia, I just see how, you know, a lot of times 
I say we're both creators and entrepreneurs. So many times, you know, the world's way is to, to, to teach you to hustle. And, you know, you got to knock on the doors. And, yeah, you do have to knock on the doors. But what I see in your case is that your gift made room for you. Because you said, like, these people came to you. You know, once you yes. were out there full time, I right. think that's so important to mention that people will come to you once they see you walking in your God-given purpose and doing it in excellence the way that God created you to do it, they will come to you. So I know that now you have a new business venture that you are adding uh, with this new podcast for entrepreneurs called Grindset. <laughs> yes, so uh, tell me, how did that come about? How did you get into <laughs> doing the podcast? <laughs> not, not on my list of things to do. Um, right. But <laughs> there's an, an organization here called Epicenter. Epicenter is a hub or entrepreneurs that really um, help them find resources to start a business, help them with business plans. And there's just a really big emphasis right now on them helping black women to um, start businesses and really help them become successful. And so that's why they reached out to me to interview. They loved my story. They loved that I was not this traditional person who knew out of high school, okay, I'm going to have this business. It was by happenstance, it was because of um, the city that I was in that created this entrepreneurial spirit. So they were really just interested in, in getting me in the interview process, and by the grace of God, I was selected to host. But every week, our focus is to talk to people that are in business, so it's all about women, especially black women, and hear their story. I'm not the only person that had this vision or felt like I have to start a business, so each week, we're talking to business owners. Our first guest was Andrea Johnson. Uh, she's CEO of Bubble Bistro. She sells a natural body and hair products. She's been doing it for 10 years. When we, dealt, when we delved into her story, she told me that she used to do hair. She um, was creating certain type of products based on her, the texture of her client's hair, and then that turned into her creating this global company where she's shipping all over the world her products. So I'm not the only one with this untraditional story. There's so many other women out there that have these companies, but nobody hears this story. So GrindFit is to really dig deep, find out um, inception of the business, why you feel successful, and what was that uncomfortable part of the business? What mistakes did you make? We want to be as excuse me, transparent as possible so people listening can know it's not all pretty, picture-perfect like you see on social media. It's real work behind it, and you have to have a, a grinding mindset. So that's why the show is even called Grindset. Um, and then my co-host, William Sprack, he's uh, in, in the banking industry. So, again, I just shared with you and your listeners earlier, I just trusted my vision from God, and I went out there. Again, I'm single. I don't have kids, so I had the luxury of being able to – to downsize my living situation a bit to make sure that I could do both. But then there are women with families that have responsibilities, so he's going to talk about the financial piece, what it looks like to get a loan, what it looks like to get an angel investor, if you realistically have to ask family and friends for money. So we have a really good relationship. So my job is to dig into you know, how your business started, what makes it tick, and then he's going to talk about the financial aspect of it. So it's been a really cool opportunity. 
That sounds great. Yeah, it's amazing how we have our plans. You know, like you mentioned, we have our own plans and our own mindset about what we want to do, but God shapes up our plans. And like you said, this podcast was unexpected, but I'm just believing it's, you know, just the concept behind it. We need that. You know, we need information for entrepreneurs. You know, we need to hear those stories about how people, you know, how they started and what makes them successful. Like, so I definitely see you all doing some great things with that. So, I, look, Thank I will you. be tuning in. I will be supporting. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so Cynthia, tell me this. Outside of your faith in God, who or what inspires you? Wow. Um, I guess for me, honestly, my family. So, you know, my mother and father, uh, just the values they have filled in me to see the things they've overcome over the years and um, to see that they've always, no, no matter how hard the situation, I always thank God for the for the moment because it's a learning lesson. It is only a temporary storm. Things will get better. So my parents have always inspired me, and my older brother, it's only he and I. Uh, he's always been an entrepreneur, and I've always just admired his work ethic. I think unintentionally, I've been soaking all of that in over the years because I've now adapted his same behaviors, and, and I believe it was always there, but I always just wanted that cookie-cutter American dream. So my brother, um, who has two kids and then a beautiful wife, he is a provider. He just he makes it work. He makes family time. He works on his business. He makes time for um, just traveling. So it's, it's about that work-life balance that he's perfected, so he truly inspires me. So speaking of balance, Cynthia, um, how do you balance, you know, all of the things that you have to do, all of your events? I'm just really curious to know because that is something that I see a lot of creatives and entrepreneurs struggle with. You know, you're working in purpose and you're excited to do what God has called you to do, but sometimes we struggle with that balance. So Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you balance? So listen, this is now almost two years of me doing this full time. In the beginning, I really, burnout, burnout is real. You saying yes to everybody, you want to be everywhere, you want to, you have to be hands-on in your business when it first starts. So I really, I was tired beyond I could have ever imagined. Even when I was doing, you know, the eight hours full-time, eight hours towards my business Monday through Friday, I still powered down on the weekend. And I got away from that because I felt like, okay, as a new business owner, I need to be everywhere, I need to do everything. I got to advertise, I got to take these meetings, got to run around the city. It was a lot. So within the first six months, I I slowed down, I reassessed everything. I realized, okay, all money is not good money, Um, Mm -hmm. meaning, yes, these are events that are out there, but they're not events aligned with your mission. They're not events that are in your wheelhouse. So it's okay to refer it to the next event planner. So I learned that very quickly. I learned that self-care is very important. So one weekend per month, I will just go off the grid. I will not go anywhere. I'll just stay at home, you know, put put the robe on, watch some Lifetime, watch some movies, just not, not work at all, just power down and, and really focus on self-care. Maybe it is going to a spa that weekend. Maybe it's um, doing a vacation, going to a hotel. I, I love Hotels.com. So I'll find the special, and I'll just go to the hotel for the weekend, and I really feel like I'm somewhere. So mm-hmm. I take time to do that every month, and that's made a huge difference. I also learned very quickly uh, in that six-month process 
I don't have to have a meeting every day. Girl, I was having two, three meetings every oh, no. day. And, and you don't even get time to assess the meetings, to make notes, or to do follow-up emails. Your, your brain is just on the go and you're wired all the time. So now I make it a point where Mondays and Fridays I don't have meetings, but if I need to go out, I'm out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And sometimes I will just, do three days a weekend and two days out. It just really depends. And and also learning how to condense those meetings. I think, again, if you have one meeting one day, two the next day, knock out three. That way you have a whole extra day of just being focused on, on, on your, your work and, and, and being able to rest. So it took time to figure that out. But since I've adopted that, that's how I'm able to do work-life balance. And then um, – Socially, I do make time for friends. You know, I can't go to every event with them and, and go every place, but at least once a month there's this girls' day out where we're doing something fun um, because it's important to have those friendships as well. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's great, great advice. And speaking of advice, Cynthia, I want you to share with me um, – I want you to share with my listeners, rather, uh, some advice or words of encouragement to those listeners who may be struggling to discover their purpose, or maybe they know their purpose, but they're struggling to walk in it. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to those people? So I, I definitely can relate to that. I think the first thing they have to do is write it down, right? You write the vision and make it plain. Maybe there are five different things you're good at. But once you write it down, you figure out which one would you do for free. That's usually what I tell people when they approach me, like, how did you figure this out? If if you could do anything for free, what would that thing be? And that's when you realize, you know what, that's the thing that I really care the most about. And then you figure out, how do I make money (laughs) doing this thing? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's important. You can't do everything at the same time, I, you know, you want to bake cakes, you want to be an event planner, you want to do weddings, you want to be a DJ, you want to be a singer. That is overload, and I think that's how a lot of people get overwhelmed. So just identify that one thing first, and gradually over time you can add those other passions. But I, I'm a firm believer in we're, we're great at doing this one thing, and we can give 110%. But as you continue to add more to your plate, you can't give 110% to all five things. That's good. That's good. And I think a lot of um, entrepreneurs and creators struggle with that because a lot of people are multi-gifted and multi-talented. So, you know, they're like, oh, I can flow over here and do this and I can do that. But, mm-hmm. you know, what, like you said, what do you do well? What do you do the best? Uh, you know, yeah. and if you can't. If you're trying to do that and 10 other things, you're definitely going to burn yourself out. So, yeah, that is great advice. Well, Cynthia, <laughs> that's the last question I had for you. Um, okay. The, the last thing I just want to say is uh, I just want to give you an opportunity uh, to, you know, give my listeners your contact information. If they want to okay. get in contact with you and learn more about you, what is the best way for them to do so? So I am on social media. I'm, I'm frequent there very often. Uh, so my Facebook business page is Cynthia Daniels and Company, and that's the CO Company um, abbreviation. You can find me on Instagram at Cynthia Daniels CO, and then I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm easily um, searchable in those spaces, and I will definitely follow up with you in that way. 
Well, this concludes episode four of Pursuing Purpose, the podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Cynthia Daniels, for joining me for this episode. And I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into this episode. If you were inspired, encouraged, or motivated by this episode in any way, I encourage you to share it with someone who needs to hear it. Also, if you want to learn more information about me or you want to connect with me, you can get in contact with me through my website, www. Until next time, be blessed and continue to walk in purpose.